Wonderful psalm, Psalm 118. Follow along, read in your Bibles as I read out loud. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them. And give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Father, we ask your blessings now on the reading and hearing, and now the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, ten years ago, I didn't tell you this a moment ago, but I actually preached this chapter in four sermons. So this is just a big picture tonight to be a good reminder to us. You'll get to go home and all week long ponder this. I think you probably saw just in listening and or following me as I read why I ended up with this psalm tonight because it's just replete with that call to thanks. And it gives us all sorts of good reasons to thank the Lord and to be thankful to the Lord. So let me ask you a question to start with. Are we, 
as a church, thankful. And then second, are you, as an individual, thankful? Because it's easy to just take things for granted, isn't it? You know, we have a good job, it takes care of things, and it's just, that's life. And one of the most detestable things I hear these days, and I try my best to not look, come out of my lips, is, well, it is what it is. I hope you can join me in detesting that. It's not, it is what it is. As you saw from the psalmist, it's the Lord. That's everything. Do you notice how he went through that litany of all the things to, for which he is thankful? And it was always the Lord. It wasn't just because, well, hey, it is what it is. So I'm going to go eat, drink, and be merry. Well, we've just entered with today upon the week in which we have a punctuation mark called Thanksgiving Day. And we don't have to go into the details of what all people do other than eat a lot and often too much. You know, people get to catch up on some chores. Uh, people see it as a time to, uh, to reunite with family. Nothing wrong with either of those things. Chores need to be done. Family's special. Uh, some people are just thrilled to have a day off while others don't get a day off. Those who work, for instance, in the health care arena, many of them have to serve the sick people. Uh, what I want us to do tonight is just reflect on what it means to really be thankful instead of just call it a day. Well, Thanksgiving. We sang about it earlier, and that that, that that song gave us a number of reasons to be thankful. And here's some more here in the Word. I want to read you something, though. This comes from Samuel Adams, who wrote the first Thanksgiving proclamation. It was issued by the Continental Congress on November the 1st, 1777. It's, it's a bit of a long quote. I don't usually do lengthy quotes in a sermon, but... Uh, this is good, so I want to do it, and then I'll, I'll draw your attention to parts of it. This is what he penned. For as much as it's the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to him for benefits received, together with penitent confession of their sins, whereby they had forfeited every favor, and their humble and earnest supplications that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and blot out, blot them out of remembrance. It is therefore recommended to set apart Thursday, the 18th day of December next for solemn thanksgiving and praise that with one heart and one voice, the good people may, now listen, if you've not listened up until now, that the good people may express the grateful feeling of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of their divine benefactor, acknowledging with grateful 
with gratitude their obligations to him for benefits received, to prosper the means of religion for the promotion and enlargement of that kingdom which consists in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's about as theocentric as you can ever expect to hear, even in a pulpit, much less a politician. Did you notice? God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he he calls us to the enlargement of the kingdom which consists in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. There you have the divine triune Godhead in this first Thanksgiving proclamation penned by Samuel Adams, Continental Congress, November 1st, 1777. Let me just point out a few things. First of all, the purpose of the Thanksgiving Day was to express grateful feelings to God, not eat a lot of turkey and dressing or whatever you eat. And again, I've got nothing against eating good food. But when we call it Thanksgiving, there ought to be some thanks involved. And too often it's just thanks for the food without acknowledging from whom all good gifts come. Second thing he said was that that we might, uh, to the end, this day of thanks was to the end to prosper the means of religion and to consecrate themselves to God for his service. So it was a, a day to be grateful, to consecrate ourselves to service, and to promote the church, the growth of the church, the kingdom of God. That's pretty remarkable. That'd be a nice way to sort of outline your day Thursday, mixed in with family and friends. It's, I'll just remind you too, he was, not, uh, he was not thanking a generic God when he wrote this and encouraging others. He was not encouraging just a generic day to hang out together. And he was not promoting any old generic religion, but it was the religion of Christianity. Well, with all that said, let's look at this text just briefly. And this is simple and brief tonight. The first thing is... Notice that thanksgiving to God is a command. In the first verse to the last verse, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good. His steadfast love endures forever. And then in verse 29, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good. And then he makes statements like verse 28, You are my God and I will give thanks to you. Even close in verse 26, We bless you from the house of the Lord. In verse 21, I thank you that you have answered me. And so, the thankfulness we're being called to. Again, not optional, but it's a requirement. But it doesn't, just because it's a requirement, because it's a commandment, doesn't mean it should be onerous, does it? 
Sometimes we do things because we just have to do them. Not necessarily because we like to do it. But in this case, we should like to thank God. You know, we should enjoy having a thankful heart. And the psalmist in between verses 1 and 29 give us, gives us plenty of reasons to be happy and joyful in our thanksgiving. Boisterous, over the top, effusive in our thanksgiving. And so let's look at some of those. The imperative to give thanks is because God is good. And let me just say this before we move on to the rationale that he gives us to support his, his command here. The pastor's class folks know that every once in a while I tune in to Dr. Bob. Dr. Bill's snickering over here. If you don't know Dr. Bob, uh, PBS has Dr. Bob's show on. Dr. Bob is, is a well-known uh, doctor in Knoxville, uh, a large allergy practice. And he sits with a guest. And each week they talk about different things that can go wrong with your, your bodies. And he'll have a specialist on, a cardiologist or an internal medicine, or a pediatrician, or someone, and they'll talk about from cancer to heart ailments to you name it. And at the end of the show, Dr. Bob, with his, his arthritic fingers, says here on the Dr. Bob show, there's a few things that we talk about that will help us live better, happier lives. One is eat well, eat well, eat properly, he says, and he grins right into the camera. Get plenty of rest, seven and a half hours or more every day of good rest. And he concludes always with this, and laugh. And his fingers even get more gnarled when he gives us that last one, the fourth one. There's sleep, eat, exercise, and laugh. Some of you are looking at me like, what's that got to do? That's got everything to do with it. We are to give thanks to the Lord happily. Nothing in this passage suggests that the psalmist is saying, oh, give thanks to the Lord. By the way, I'm just going to say, this goes on record. Sometimes we sing thanksgiving and praise like a dirge around here. And I'm just going to give a command right now to our accompanist. If it's the thanksgiving or praise like the doxology, pick up the tempo. It's not a funeral tune. It's a praise and thanksgiving tune. And we should be rejoicing in it, not dead in it. Everything about this chapter shouts, give thanks to the Lord, not give thanks to the Lord. 
We're not Eeyores. We're, we're more Tiggers. Let's give thanks to the Lord. And by the way, when we're tired, when we're discouraged, maybe we're in the throes of melancholy, that's when, that's when we need to stop and give thanks. Have you ever noticed that in those difficult times, those most difficult times, if we will just stop and give the Lord thanks, just acknowledge all the things he's done for us and give thanks, all of a sudden, it's like a second wind comes over us. Or all of a sudden, things are not as dark as they seem to be. Because when we're giving thanks to the Lord, we're necessarily having to acknowledge that he's in control. And we're not. He's in control, not our enemies. In fact, the psalmist gets to that, doesn't he? The enemies have risen up against him. But he's going to give thanks to the Lord. And by the way, through all that, it's going to work out. Well, let's look at the rationale for giving thanks. Giving thanks to God for his goodness. That's the first rationale. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then there's coupled with that, for his steadfast love endures forever. See, his goodness flows out of his covenant faithfulness. That's the first clue that this is not a generic, God is good to everyone. His steadfast love endures forever. And then the second clue it's not just for everyone is, because remember, those who believe in the Lord, they have eternal life. But those who do not obey the Lord, the, the wrath of God abides upon them. There's nothing good about wrath, y'all. Another clue that this is to God's people, the household of faith, let Israel say his steadfast love. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love. It's the people of God that he's good to all the time. It's the goodness of God. This is the way Charles Hodge, the, 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 the grand old Princeton theologian of the 19th century, he says goodness in the scriptural sense of the term includes benevolence, love, mercy, and grace. Benevolence, love, mercy, and grace. Benevolence is just that general disposing of God toward his people. The love of God, God's delight and complacency, Hodge says, toward human beings, particularly of the household of faith. Mercy, of course, is his kindness toward the miserable, and, his, and that's manifested in his pity his compassion, his forbearance, and his gentleness to his people. Are you already seeing reasons to be thankful? That he's good, that he's gentle, that he pities us, that he's, he forbears with us, he has patience, he puts up with us a lot. He's compassionate. Remember what that word compassion means? carries with it in the scriptures. It's that, it's that internal 
concern for us. Jesus had compassion on the lost, the helpless and harassed. And we're told that he had compassion on them. Literally, he convulsed internally over their condition. Well, here it's for his own people because of who they are. As the friends that we saw this morning in John chapter 15. And there the the compassion turns more to what we've just read here. Pity and and forbearance and gentleness. And then finally, of goodness, there's grace. That, of course, is God's love toward the unworthy, the undeserving. And don't ever forget that even though this whole Christian salvation process begins with God's grace, every step of it is God's grace. It necessitates God being gracious to us. So we're always, in that sense, undeserving. Day after day after day, we're undeserving. And we need a God who cares for people even though they don't deserve it. And he does that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We're to be thankful for and express thanksgiving toward God because he is disposed kindly toward us because he delights in doing kindly toward us he withholds from every one of us what we deserve and he gives us what we don't deserve that in itself is enough to make us thankful he is good and he's good to us always but he gives us a lot of details in here about this He says that out of my distress, I called on the Lord and he answered. We should be thankful because God answers our prayers. We ask the Lord. I mean, you just think about it. We could could go around this room and I hope this will spark many of you to thinking about this so that Wednesday night we won't have that dead time. You know. How many things we could be thankful for as a church? We just celebrated in February, 10 years in this location, on this beautiful site. We celebrated earlier in the year, these folks right here, getting all that visa stuff worked out and being able to come back from Brazil and resume work at the lab and their presence here with us. And here, here they are, right here. We've had babies born this year, safely, and with good health, and the mamas too. And on and on it goes. Okay, there's a few hints for Wednesday night. That's to prime the pump, but you can still give those, Daniel and Philip. We'd love to hear it Wednesday night. We weren't sure at what point with, with, with the church plant that we'd be able to replace in the sense of filling the spot left by John Blevins. And because of, because of the way that whole church plant worked out financially, all of a sudden we realized a year ago, we can, let's move forward with this. And last December, we had a congregational meeting 
to put together the pulpit committee, the search committee for the new pastor. And by May, by March, we were voting. And by June, the Morrises were here. Some of you have new jobs. Some of you have better old jobs. There's so much to be thankful for. And the psalmist says, we ask and he answered, I'm going to praise the Lord. Oh, here's another reason. The Lord's on my side. He's not against us. He's for us. There are some people he's against. And he goes on to say, the nations, they surrounded me. In other words, the world turned against the psalmist. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. He, he, he gave the psalmist the strength he needed to deal with his enemies. And he describes it then. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. That's reason to give thanks. Some of you have been in those same places. Some more recently than others. Because the world pushes hard against us. The Lord's my strength and my song. That's a good reason to be thankful. He is our strength. And he's the one who gives us a song, puts a song on our lips. And notice what kind of songs. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. And then he says, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand has to do with God's power. But I would suggest to you that it also speaks to the second person of the Holy Trinity who is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's the one who does valiantly for us. He certainly did valiantly for us in living a perfect life and he certainly did valiantly for us in dying on the cross and he did valiantly for us in rising from the dead and he's coming again to put away every enemy. I shall not die, but I shall live. Now, the psalmist knew that if he lived long enough, he'd die in this physical, mortal body. But he also knew something else, that that wasn't the end of him. And he was thankful for that. I'm going to live. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he's not given me over to death. He's thankful for the discipline of the Lord. There's probably some folks could speak to that this Wednesday night, and that's okay. The Lord has disciplined me. Notice, this wasn't nice and sweet, and, you know, it wasn't that little, when, you're, when your little one is just so big, and, you know, he, he wouldn't understand a good spanking, and so you're doing this nice little sweet discipline thing, this little He says, no, this is severely. The Andy Griffith episode, the new boy in town, leading all the other kids into all sorts of trouble. Finally, the dad realizes he has a little rascal on his hand. And Andy says, uh, uh, would you like to step out back with your son? 
He says, yep. He said, there's a woodshed out there. He said, an old-fashioned woodshed. And that's, of course, the saying, you know, take them out behind the woodshed for a good, stern discipline. Not punishment, discipline. And that's the way the psalmist is speaking here. And by the way, he's thankful for it. Some of you could give testimony as I can. My daddy, I thought he was going to wear his big belt out on me. In fact, I thought any time it'll be the end of that one and this will all be over with. Because he, he, we were poor. He probably won't be able to afford another belt. I wasn't thankful like I should have been. Since then, I've become more thankful for my dad and my mom and their discipline. And my Granny Hilly, she used to fly swat on me. And I'm so thankful. Carol's not had to use a fly swat on me in years because Granny Hilly did. And then he turns, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. He's taking his thanks from his personal life into the corporate life. Did you notice that? Open the gates, enter through them, give praise. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you've answered me. He's back to the answering of prayer, that you've become my salvation. How often do we thank God for his salvation in our lives? And that we don't simply treat it as a past tense. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. And we all know who the stone is, don't we? Peter picks up on this and says, hey, it was Jesus. Jesus is who the psalmist was talking about. And the psalmist, how much he understood, we don't know. But he knew that the stone was God, the living God. He was the one. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. We pray, give us success. He goes on with the sacrifice. Be thankful because of the sacrifice. And of course, again, reference to our Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately. The one who took our sins. And then he turns back, you are my God and I will give thanks to you. You're my God, I will extol you. And then he concludes the way he started. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, that should make for far better thanksgiving. And a far more biblical thanksgiving. And again, I want to say what I said in the beginning, there's nothing wrong with Thanksgiving being a wonderful family day or enjoying wonderful food for which we give him thanks for we just prayed earlier, give us this day our daily bread. But there's so much more. So much more. And here the psalmist has outlined every aspect of life. Did you notice that? Every aspect of life, the good and the bad, salvation and temporal matters are all reasons to give thanks. We have much for which we should be thankful and can be thankful.
Now, like we always do, our families, our friends, but most of all, the stone that the builders rejected that has become our cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful evening and help us to go out now with a, with a better mind, frame of mind about giving thanks. And we might be thankful to you for the right reasons. We pray in Jesus' wonderful and holy name. Amen.